You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. It's good the second week, too. It's good the second week, too. I like it. I like it. Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. How are you today? Yeah? Good. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. You know, Flo was talking about uh, it being spring forward. And my week, I feel like, was defined less by not getting a lot of sleep, but more by allergies. Is anybody else in here with me? Uh, oh, gosh, it's been miserable for me this week. Uh, the snot and the coughing and everything has just been nasty. And so I just want to go ahead and like apologize to you up front that if I'm sniffling and coughing up here, uh, it's because of the weather. I don't, I don't actually think I'm sick. It's just all the stuff going on, the pollen and whatnot and the weather change and everything. But it's been miserable nonetheless. Uh, in any case, uh, I don't know if I've said this already, but uh, if you're a guest, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's a joy and honor as always to get to be with you guys as we open up God's word together uh, to be more molded and made into the image of Jesus as a little church family. Uh, And last week, we began this series sort of taking a look at uh, our financial lives. Uh, And we said, basically, one of the big goals with it is to essentially get our proverbial financial houses in order, so to speak. And we said one of the big reasons why we're doing this series is because finances, in many respects, can be a source of a lot of stress and frustration and slavery and just problems in our lives. One of the stats that we shared last week was that something like 65% of Americans claim that money is a significant stressor in their life. I ran across an article from CNBC this week that actually went into even more detail about it. And it said something like 90% of individuals say that money has a direct impact on their overall stress level. About 65% report feeling that their financial difficulties are piling up so much that they don't know how they're going to overcome them. 40%, over 40% say they wish they could have a fresh financial start. And under 25% say they are actually optimistic about their financial future. All that to say, it just means that the majority of Americans are out there not feeling too great about things right now when it comes to money. And maybe you're with them. Maybe you're even here this morning feeling the weight of questions like, are we going to have enough money to make ends meet? Am I going to have to get a second job to to figure all this out? How are we ever going to pay off that debt? Will I be able to retire? Or am I going to have to work until I'm dead? If If I just ignore that noise coming from the hood of my car, will that make the expensive repair go away? What about my kid's smile? Like, are we going to be able to afford enough to fix their jacked up teeth? Or are they going to have to just get comfortable with the nickname Snaggletooth? Am I right? You know, like, is that, is that what, like, maybe I'm the only one, but like, I, I think about these things. Like, these types of things weigh on me. These are things, for me, that have only gotten worse in the past year or so, as inflation has just gone through the roof, right? Like, I look at our, our family's grocery budget, and it makes me want to pass out sometimes. It's like, eggs cost what? A hundred dollars? Uh, kids. Do you want an omelet or do you want to go to college? Because we have some decisions that we need to make, right? Like it just, it feels that way these days. When it comes to money, all that being said, it's just rough out there in these streets right now. And as we said last week, God wants better for us. He wants better for us. That Jesus' vision for our financial lives is one of countercultural freedom and blessing 
and peace. And we said last week that it starts with a right perspective on money, that, that wealth is temporary provision and blessing to be used for God's purposes. That was sort of our working definition of wealth. And according to Jesus, it is better and wiser for us to invest the resources that we have now towards God, towards things that will ultimately last forever than to spend our lives just accumulating stuff and money for ourselves. But if you're anything like me, and I suspect if those stats I mentioned before are true, then you are, the hardest part about teachings like this are that, that while I may tend to think Jesus is right, it sounds woefully unrealistic, doesn't it? Like, like, I want to ask, does Jesus get it? Does Jesus get it? I mean, I have bills to pay. I have three kids who will just not stop outgrowing the clothes that I put them in. Does he understand how much stress and strain we're under? Does he, does he get our financial situation? Does he get the weight of our need? And even if he does, how can I possibly go from a place like this, a place of stress and worry to a place like that, where I actually use money to be rich towards God instead of myself? How could a life like that even be possible for me? Well, that's where we're going today. Uh, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Luke chapter 12. So if you want to grab a Bible and turn there, that would be absolutely fantastic. We're going to be in Luke 12 verses 22 through 32. All right. Uh, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole thing for us, and then we'll kind of work our way back through it together. So feel free to grab a Bible and turn there, and you can read along with me. This is what it says. And he, he being Jesus, and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So I don't know how much you read the Bible or how often you've come across this passage, but I imagine for those of you who grew up in or around church or have been a part of one for uh, any, any you know, extended amount of time, this is probably something of a familiar passage for you. It's one of Jesus's most famous teachings on anxiety. For folks who wrestle with worry and fear, it's often a go-to passage. But what's easy to miss about this passage is that it's direct context is actually about money and wealth. Jesus just finished his parable teaching about leveraging our wealth for God's pur purposes and pivots right into this one as though he knows exactly what his disciples and us, if we're honest, may be thinking. Jesus, if this is how you want us to treat money, to store up treasure in heaven and not here on earth, what's that going to mean for us? What's that going to mean for my life? I mean, we've got to eat. 
We've got to be clothed. We've got to survive. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not talking about whether or not you should faithfully work a job to make an income. We'll have more on that in a couple of weeks. Rather, he's just talking about that thing within us that gets consumed with concern over our needs, that worries and fears about, hey, are we going to make it? Do we have enough? Is everything in right order? And keep in mind who he's talking to here. This is, this is a much more sustenance and agriculturally driven society than our own. So for perspective, if we have a bad production year, the prices go up a bit, but the supply for the most part is still there. If people in this situation have a bad production year, they're going hungry for a bit. You see what I mean? In fact, I heard a comment this week on a podcast that in the ancient Near East, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that the average person would be hungry for roughly 60 days out of the year. That's who Jesus is talking to here. So they would rightfully be sitting there thinking, Jesus, if we don't leverage all of our energy, both mental and physical, to get, to get as much for ourselves as we possibly can, how can we expect to make it? How can we expect to survive? How can we expect to have everything that we'll need? They feel this tension that so many of us also feel when it comes to Jesus's teachings. Jesus, you may be right, but all of this just seems so unreasonable. So Jesus gives them two things to consider. He says, think of the birds and think of the flowers. Let's look back at verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then down in verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? All right, so I want you to notice what Jesus does here. He says, consider, consider the ravens, consider the lilies. Actually think about the bigger picture here, how God's world actually works. In a way, what he's trying to do here is change their way of thinking of it. He wants to shift their thinking that somehow in their anxiety, they aren't thinking about things very clearly. He wants them to shift how they think about life and the world and even about God himself. And what I want to do is I want to draw out some of these shifts for us because I think if we can see them and see them well, they might just shift our experience of financial anxiety as well. So the first thing I want us to see here is that he wants them to shift. He wants to move them from the idea that my money is what provides to God is who provides. From money is what provides to God provides. So he asks them, consider the birds and flowers. Who feeds them? Who feeds them again? Do they feed and clothe themselves? Do you do it? Jesus says, no, it's God. God is the one who feeds them. God is the one who clothes them. God is the one who gives them what they need when they need it. Ultimately, God is the one who provides. And Jesus' point here is to consider that if this is who God is for birds and flowers, then that is who he also is for you. And this idea is all over scripture. Like we see it in all kinds of places, but one of my favorites is in Psalm 145. It says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season." You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
that God is the great giver. And every good thing we have or have ever had is ultimately from his hand. And a part of what I want you to hear this morning is that every meal you've ever eaten, every pair of jeans you've ever put on, every paycheck you've ever deposited into your account is actually God delivering on the very promises we see here. Like, I know we don't often think about it that way, but that's precisely Jesus's point. This is who he is. And in those things, this is what is actually happening. Just like God feeds the birds and clothes the fields, he does the same for you. Now, he might have done it for you through that money he put in your pocket, but it was him who did it nonetheless. But the reason that matters is that Jesus is exposing that the power that you think resides in money and wealth actually resides in God. And getting the right answer to the question, who is it who actually provides for me? It goes a long way towards, the, towards how much stress you will experience when it comes to your financial life. Because here's the thing, the constant temptation with wealth is to believe that it can do what only God can actually do, all right? You hear that? The temptation of wealth is to believe that wealth can do for me what only God can actually do. To put it maybe a little bit more simply, the reason we stress out about money is because we know money can do stuff. And that's an earth-shattering insight, I know. Like, I mean, wow, right? Uh, We know that money can do stuff. We know that money can buy things. Money can buy food. It can buy clothing. It can buy shelter, to name a few. But it can do more than that, too. Money can make life easier, more comfortable, and feel more secure. In short, money gives us a sense of power and control over our world. With the right kind of money, I can live in the right neighborhood. With the right kind of money, I can give my kids the type of education that I think is best for them. With the right kind of money, I can give my spouse and my family the kind of life they want. With the right kind of money, I can protect myself. I can protect myself from danger. I can prevent hardship from coming into my life. I can have peace of mind and tons of other things. Wealth gives us this illusion that while the world out there might be unstable, with the right kind of money, I can manage it. I can take care of it. I love the way the old pastor John Piper talks about it. He says, riches whisper, I am the safest, most satisfying solution to the cares of your life. This is why virtually every time that Jesus talks about money, he treats it as though it's something spiritual because it is. Like we don't, we don't tend to think about it that way, but, but it's true. A pastor I follow recently put it like this to kind of help us see this, uh, see this reality. He said, think about what happens when you get something new, right? Like think about what happens when you make a new purchase. You get new clothes or a new phone or maybe a new car. Like, it does something to you, right? Like, when you make that purchase, it does something to you. You feel different. You feel better about yourself. You feel better about your life, about where you're headed. You feel good. Sometimes you might even say you feel like a new person. Like, what is that? That's something spiritual. Like, you haven't become something new. Those are just pants. They're... They're well-cut pants, all right, and they look great on you, but you're not new. Like, you haven't become something new, but, but you feel new. You feel like you're something better and that things might could be better for you because you're the type of person who wears these new pants now. They might be pants, but somehow they have this strange power. The point is, is something spiritual is taking place there. It has a spiritual power of some kind. And the thing is, is that money can very easily become our solution to the instability of life. And when it does that, what really happens is it becomes a rival God to us. It stands in the place of God for us. 
And here's the truth. Your anxiety will always be proportional to the fragility of your God. I know that's a big sentence with a lot of big words, but I want you to hear that. Your anxiety will be proportional to the fragility of your God. And money is a fragile God. When money is the solution to life's uncertainty, here's what happens. It never feels like it's enough. You always feel like you need just a little bit more to be okay and be secure because who knows what could happen. You could get a phone call from a doctor and the rest of your life is just caught up in medical bill after medical bill after medical bill. The market could crash and that well-invested, diversified crypto portfolio of yours is back to square one. There could be a global pandemic that shuts everything down where employment dries up, sending the prices of everything through the roof for years, hypothetically speaking, of course. So in response to the question, how much money is enough? Like we, when money serves this place of like God in our lives, we can't help but think, ah, just a little bit more. If I just had just a little bit more, that's when things would be okay. So we obsess about it and we worry about it and we wonder, do we actually have enough? And Jesus says in verse 25, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then, if then, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? His point is, don't you see? All of your hand-wringing over what's gonna happen or if you're gonna make it, all of your worry about whether or not you have enough, it doesn't actually change anything. It doesn't actually provide any amount of control over what God could bring into your life or what could happen. Your life is now and has always been in God's hands and he is the one who ultimately provides. So that's the first shift. From money provides to God provides, but it's not the only shift. Shift number two that I think we see here is that it go, we go from a world that is scarce, the belief that the world is scarce, to God is actually abundant. So it's not just that God is the provider, but that God has the resources and all the resources to actually do it. He says of the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. He's like, do birds work? Do birds work? It's not a rhetorical question, right? Or maybe it is a rhetorical question. No, they don't work. Are they responsible? Do they moonlight as another species during the off season to make ends meet? No, absolutely not. And again, he's not saying that his people shouldn't work, but rather if these birds don't even do the things that you do and God takes care of them, how much more is God going to do for you what you need? And of the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Essentially, what he's saying here is God pours out more proverbial bling on the lilies than the richest guy you've ever heard of, because God's just got it like that. Psalm 50 really gets, uh, gets his point across well. In it, God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. He's saying, look, it's all mine, every bit of it. Essentially, there is not one square inch of all creation over which God does not say, I own this. This belongs to me, and I can do with it whatever I please. 
In his book, Recapturing the Wonder, Mike Cosper notes that if we live in a cosmos, an ordered and meaningful world, then all we have is a gift. And at the heart and helm of creation is a God of abundance. At the center of creation is a God who owns all things and provides all things, who has indispensable and unlimited resources at his fingertips. But abundance is often the exact opposite of how we think things really work. So Stephen Covey, in, uh, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he coined the terms abundance and scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset, he says, is one that believes that there is plenty to go around, plenty of success, plenty of opportunity, plenty of praise, and we can give and share freely because a win for a colleague is a win for us all. A scarcity mindset, on the other hand, is one that believes that everything is limited and there's only so much to go around, so I have to fight and scrape for my own. And he uses these terms to talk about leadership and working with others, and I think they have a lot of value there. But truthfully, as Christians, we have every reason to have an abundance mindset in all things. We have every reason to think that the world itself is abundant because we know the God who is above and beyond beyond it. A scarcity mindset is one that produces anxiety because it believes there's no way we can make it. There's no way we can make it if I don't spend all my energy chasing these things. I gotta gotta make sure I get mine because my life will go poorly if I don't because there's not enough to go around. I've gotta make sure I look out for me. But an abundance mindset, on the other hand, says this is God's world. This is his creation. It's all his. And I believe God will give me exactly what I need because I know with God, there's always enough. With God, there's always enough. This reminds me of a story uh, that I've, I think I've shared, with, shared it with you before, but it's a story of a close friend of mine uh, a number of years back. He and his wife have been married for a few years and they had two small kids. And those of you who are in that life stage, like you know just how financially pressing that season of life can be. Well, to boot, uh, they had a bunch of unexpected bills come up and then out of nowhere, his car died. Like call somebody and take it to the junkyard dead, like dead, dead, can't, can't use it anymore type of a thing. And they didn't have the money to do anything about it. And they didn't know what they were going to do. They felt like all of their options were gone. And so they, they really, they were like, our only option left is just to pray, to ask God to do something. And so that's what they did. They prayed. And I kid you not, during one random Tuesday night or Tuesday evening uh, during dinner, an older gentleman from their church showed up at their house, handed them an envelope and said, God told me you needed it. God told me you needed it. And my friend looked in the envelope and in it was a check worth enough for a new car or a new to him car rather. And he and his wife could not stop crying and thanking God. And, and the reason that story always comes to my mind when I, when I think about these things, and I think about the idea that this is God's world and he can do whatever he wants to with the resources that are in it. It always comes to my mind because it reminds me that just because I can't see a way out doesn't mean that God can't. You hear what I'm saying? That just because I don't know the way forward and don't know what's going to happen doesn't mean that God doesn't. And at times, he does things like this. In fact, I could tell you story after story about times where things look bleak for me, for our family, for our church, and God just stepped in and flexed. And it just begs the question for us, like, is this how we see him? Is this how we understand who he is? Is this how we see the world we live in? Do we know that God is a God of unlimited resource and that at any moment, through any means necessary, he can leverage what he owns for our good? While things might look scarce to us, we have to remember that we live in his world as his kids, and that changes absolutely everything. 
And listen, to be clear, just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying that God will give you everything you want. I'm not saying that God will bail you out out of every bad spot you've put yourself in. I'm not saying that at all, okay? Uh, sometimes we reap what we sow, and he wants to teach us lessons the hard way for our good. Even that is for our good. Jesus is not saying just trust God and nothing in your life will go badly. You'll never be in need and you'll never lack for anything. No, he's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that no matter what happens, because of who God is, he will take care of you until the day he calls you home. You can bank on that. That God will give you exactly what it is you need because with God, there's always enough. And that brings me to the last one, shift number three. Moving from I'm on my own to I belong to God. The belief that I am on my own to knowing I actually belong to God. You see, what Jesus wants his disciples to understand here is that it's not just that God is the provider. And it's not just that he has an abundance to provide from, but that he is an abundant provider who actually cares about you. He actually cares about you. He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? And if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? You see, the thing about ravens and lilies is they are not made in the image of God. You are. God did not create them on the sixth day and say, this is very good. He said that about you. And in the same way, God did not send his son into the world as a raven or a flower to die for the sins of ravens and flowers. He came as a human being, an image bearer like you and like me out of his great love to die for our sin and conquer sin and death forever for you. In God's eyes, says Jesus, you are far more valuable than anything else in all of creation. You're far more valuable than any bird or flower or any star in the sky. And if this God provides for the birds and the flowers, then he will provide everything you need and more to do and be what he calls you to do and be because he loves you. He loves you. So there was a time in my life where I was actually completely, like 100% completely free from worry. And I want to tell you about it. There was a time in my life where I mostly just floated about life, never concerned about what bad things could happen tomorrow, never concerned about where my next meal was going to come from, never anxious about if we'd have enough money coming in next month or not. I was 100% free from every drop of anxiety. And I was also three years old. All right. When I was three, I can't recall having the slightest amount of anxiety about my life. I just knew that there would be food when I needed food. And I knew there would continue to be a roof over my head every night. I knew that we'd have enough money to keep the lights on. I didn't spend one single second being anxious over it. Now, you could argue that that's because I was naive. You could argue that it's because I didn't know how the world worked and I hadn't been exposed to the brutal realities of adult life yet. You could even argue that it was because I was privileged. And all of those things might be true. But I would point out that there was another reason too my dad. My dad was the one working to take care of those things for me. My dad was the one concerned about clothing me and feeding me and making sure I had what I needed to survive. My dad was seeing to it that there was food on the table and that we paid the mortgage and that the lights stayed on. Worry didn't have to cross my mind because he was concerned with those things for me. And I just knew dad loves me and dad's got me. 
And there was no doubt in my mind. The truth is, is I was privileged. I had a dad who worked hard to take care of his kids. And what Jesus is begging you to see is that's actually you too. That is actually you too. If you are in Christ, that's who you are. You have a heavenly father who loves you and he's got it. He's got it. A heavenly father who, as Romans says, is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not just working some things for their good, but all things for their good. This is who he is. And as I said, he's not saying bad things won't happen. He's not saying there aren't gonna be things that you need, but he is saying you don't have to worry about it because your father loves you and he's got it. He loves you and he's got it. This is Jesus's whole conclusion in verse 29. He says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Your father knows that you need these things. Instead, seek his kingdom. Instead, be about what he's about and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what you've got to know above everything else is that when it comes to the fear and stress of money, is that when Jesus called you and made you his own through his death and resurrection, he brought you into the hands of a loving heavenly father, that you are no longer on your own, but you belong to him and he is with you and he is for you. And the very hands that formed the world, the hands that carved out the mountains and the seas, the hands that ultimately provide shelter and food for every living face, every living thing on the face of the earth, for the birds and the lilies, that those hands are the hands that hold you. And that those same hands are the same hands that healed the blind and the same hands that raised Lazarus from the dead and the same hands that fed, fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And those hands are the same hands that were pierced to save you, the same hands that were given to provide for your deepest need, your salvation. And the point is that those same hands are the very same hands that hold your life right now. They hold your life right now and they will hold your life for whatever comes your way. They will continue to hold your life when money is tight or when money is abundant, when the needs are great or when the needs are few when everything seems secure or when everything feels like it's one step from falling apart. He does not change. He is your loving heavenly father and he holds you. And the only real question for us will be, if this is who he is, will I trust him? Will I trust him that this is who he is? This is what Jesus wants you to see and know and what makes his vision for our money not only plausible, but possible. That if this is who God is, then I can live as he says with my money. In fact, this is the fundamental issue for every human answering the question, where will I put my faith? Or to say it a different way, what or in whom will I trust? The truth is, is that everybody has faith, all right? Faith is just trust. And it's just a matter of where, what does our faith lie in? As I said before, your anxiety will always be proportional to the fragility of your God. And so the question is, will you trust in the God who loves you and has got it? Or will you trust in something else? And specifically when it comes to our financial health, we just all have a decision that we have to make. Will we trust God that he provides abundantly because he loves us? 
Or will you trust wealth to do for you what only God can actually do? This is why Jesus says what he says about money a few verses later about selling and giving away and where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's not after your money. He's after your heart, your faith. He wants you to trust him with everything because you know who he is and what he, who he has promised to be for you. Will you trust money that is here today or gone tomorrow? Or will you trust your eternal heavenly father who loves you and abundantly gives every good thing? Which will it be? That decision is yours and only you can actually make it. But I, what I want you to hear today is that one of those options will lead to stress and slavery and anxiety and the other will lead to freedom and peace. We just all have to decide. And once we do, we'll have to learn to actually put our money where our mouth is, but that's for next week. For now, just know that yes, Jesus does get it, but he wants you to trust that he's got it.